Have you ever felt overwhelmed and uh, exhausted? And not the kind of fatigue that like, I need a second nap, uh, but the kind of fatigue like you took the second nap, but you still feel, feel tired, uh, still feel exhausted, feel like, man, I'm running my life on empty. And what you need in those seasons, what I need in those seasons is not just another nap, uh, but we need refreshing for our souls. And that's what I want to talk to you about today as we continue our study through the book of Exodus. If you've been with us, this is week number nine, as we've been studying the life of Moses in this series, Led by Fire. We've been learning transformative truths that we can apply to our, our daily life to be men and women who allow God to lead us, to guide us in big decisions and small decisions and everyday activity. What we've seen so far is, is God has called this man named Moses, who was raised really in the palace as the next Pharaoh, the next king of the most uh, dominating country at this time. He, he runs for his life, though, because he identifies with these Hebrew slaves, and he's in this wilderness season. It was in this wilderness season, uh, as he's watching sheep for his father-in-law, that God calls him and says, hey, I got a message for Pharaoh. My message is this, let my people go. And in the midst of his insecurities, in the midst of all the uncertainty, in the face of very real fear, Moses moves forward with what God has asked him to do. The nation of Israel is in a national calamity. It is perhaps the most devastating time in their national history as they are enslaved in Egypt. In the midst of those moments, God breaks through. And the way that he does that is he displays his mighty, miraculous hand. Nine plagues as warnings to Pharaoh, let my people go. It was the 10th plague that ultimately brought Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt to their knees and said, hey, not only are we going to let you go, but you need to get out of here. They drove them out. And then after that, Pharaoh changed his mind and uh, was like, hey, I need them back. My, my whole workforce has been gone. And so they're on the brink of this Red Sea. And uh, God miraculously again provides a way for them through that. And then last week as Chris shared. They, they crossed the Red Sea. They, they saw God miraculously bring them to freedom, and they celebrate with this amazing uh, worship song, a song of, of triumph. And that's where we pick it up today. I don't know if you've ever felt like, man, I'm in a wilderness season, but, but here, here's what's the parallel with the, what's taking place in Exodus and with your story and with mine. Uh, the nation of Israel, once they're free from bondage in Egypt, God miraculously sets them free but they have a long way, a long journey to the promised land. And that gap between freedom from slavery and arriving at the promised land, there's, there's a lot of ups and downs. It's not all cotton candy and rainbows. And if you're a follower of Jesus, like you know that like God can set you free from shame, from bondage of your past, set you free from guilt and sin in a moment. But you know you still got a journey ahead to the promised land. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me where I am. Uh, but we're in this gap, right? So we've been set free by Jesus, but we're in this somewhat of a wilderness season to arriving at the promised land. And, and maybe you too can relate that life is not all roses. Life isn't all cotton candy and rainbows for you either. Uh, especially this has been vividly displayed for us these past few years. Uh, I don't know about you, but man, past few years, it kind of felt a little bit like a wilderness season for me. And, uh, and thankfully, I'm not the only one because some very creative people have come up with these things called memes uh, that highlight some of the ways we feel about the past few years. Uh, one meme uh, is this. Uh, if, if 2020 were a bag of potato chips, the flavor would be orange juice and toothpaste. Sounds about right. Uh, 
Uh, this next one here, uh, this is us on our surfboard going into 2020. We're like, oh, no, this is going to be tough. And it's like, oh, 2020. And then there's 2022. Like yeah, wave after wave after wave, like challenge. Here's the next one. The moment when you realize 2022 is pronounced 2022. There's another one. A lot of us felt this way. Go at the end of 2019, we're like, 2020 vision, 2020 is going to be amazing. And here we are in 2022, we're like, what, what happened? And maybe we don't physically look this way. Some of us do, but we, some of us can relate to this on the inside. Uh, here's the next one. Here's where we are in our current reality. We're not sure if everything's expensive or if I'm just poor, but something is changing in the landscape of our world as we know it. And I love this next one for summertime. When y'all see me in my swimsuit, mind your business. I thought we were going to die for the past three years, and your boy's been snacking. <laughs> it's a wilderness season. It's left us feeling a little bit like, what's going to happen next? It's left us feeling a little bit pessimistic, one thing after another. And one thing about wilderness season is that there's not a lot of signage in those seasons. No one alive has navigated what we've navigated the past three years. No one alive has, has, has come out of a global pandemic and, and there's an instruction manual on how to navigate that. So it leaves us with this feeling of how's this all going to work out? I, I'm not sure where this is going to land. I don't know how this plays. I mean, there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of signage along the way. And here's what's true of wilderness seasons as well. They have a way of intensifying things. Seasons of, of intense elements, intense opinions, Wilderness seasons intensify work complexities. Are we in the office? Are we not in the office? Wilderness seasons intensify relationships. They bring some intensity to, to family dynamics. Wilderness seasons are intense and therefore they cause fatigue. But I don't want to speak to you about fatigue or from a place of fatigue. I want to talk to you about places of refreshing. I believe the Lord desires to refresh your soul in the midst of wilderness seasons. And isn't it nice to know that in the midst of wilderness seasons, when we're led by fire, God will lead you, will lead me to places of refreshing. God doesn't want to just lead you to the wilderness, but he'll lead you through the wilderness. In the midst of the wilderness, he provides oasises that provide refreshing for our soul. Our God is that good. We see this vividly displayed in Exodus chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 15, uh, or you can pull up on your mobile device. But why don't you stand with me uh, in honor of God's word? Uh, if you're fairly new to Central, one thing you need to know, man, we believe the Bible is true and that the Bible isn't just like a religious text, but we believe it's a guide uh, for our lives, that it's an instruction manual, if you will, that the degree that we apply God's word to our life is the degree that we experience the abundant life that God has for us. And so as, as we turn to Exodus chapter 15, verse 27, I want to remind you of a text found in Romans chapter 15 and 4. And uh, Paul, who's writing this book of Romans in 15, 4, he says this. He says, everything that was written down for us in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. And so when we come to Exodus 15, 27, we just need to know those three things, that, that God has chosen this text to be in the Bible to teach us, to instruct us. He's chosen this text to be in the Bible to encourage us. He's allowed this text to be in the Bible to bring us some hope. 
And if you're like me, when we come to Exodus 15, 27, this is often a passage that we overlook, often a passage I just gloss over, but I believe God wants to speak to us from his word today. So uh, really loud, really proud. If you would be so courageous, let's read this out loud together. And not everyone in the room is going to feel comfortable with that. So if you are comfortable with that, make sure you read really loud. Okay, Uh, here it is. Exodus chapter uh, 15, verse 27, and it says this. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there near the water. Father, I pray today you'd speak to us through your word, that God, your words would come alive, that we'd understand them, that God, we'd grasp them, and God, we wouldn't just have intellectual knowledge, but God, you would give us the courage to apply your word to our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't you give someone a high five and then you can have a seat or, or a hand. That, that works too, but high five, high fives all around. Then you can have a seat. All right, if you're taking notes, this is where the notes begin. Uh, our first point today is that God leads us to places of refreshing. God leads us to places of refreshing. God has delivered the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. God has led his people with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God has protected his people from all their enemies. And God is now leading them through the wilderness. Now in the midst of the wilderness season, God leads them to a place of refreshing. Verse 27 says, then they came to Elam. Elam is uh, an oasis. Elam is a a spring. Uh, We got some pictures here of of what Elam looks like today, what scholars believe where it is currently. Uh, And so they've dug these wells there, but there are 12 12 springs there. Here's another picture. Uh, This is Elam. And then uh, another picture just kind of uh, from Google Maps gives us an idea of where we're talking about. This is Egypt over here. This is where they've been enslaved uh, for 400 years, mind you, not a short period of time. Uh, Generations have been born and died as slaves in Egypt. Now this generation is chosen to to go to the promised land. So they crossed the Red Sea and now they drop down in the wilderness. So this is not a, a very short journey for 2 million people. I mean, a large scale community traveling with herds, with elderly, with young people, and they they come to Elam where there are springs, a place of refreshing. I want to encourage you that maybe you feel like you've been walking through a wilderness season, but here's what I want you to know. Here's, Here's what I pray you take hold of. This is the big idea for today's talk. This is something I hope you tell your friends, your family, your coworkers as you hear them navigate the ups and downs of life. Here's what I need you to know is that there's refreshing in your future. God has refreshing in your future. Psalm 23, one through three says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's just a a good word. Like if this first part is true, if the Lord is your shepherd, if you're led by fire, if you're allowing God's Holy Spirit to lead you, if you're practicing the ways of Jesus, if the Lord is your shepherd, then the second part is true for you. You lack nothing. I love what the New Living Translation phrases. He says, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. Like I'm, if I got him, I'm, I'm good. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Check this out. He refreshes my soul. There's refreshing in your future. Often we can let the landscape of what we see in society, what we see around us to dictate how true or false we believe this to be. 
This is where the nation of Israel is. I mean, they're in a literal desert season. There's no water, there's no food, there's not a lot of vegetation. Like they are in the middle of the desert and they question because of the landscape around them, does God really refresh us? And we see time and time again, the nation of Israel complaining, we don't have water, we don't have food. And let the book of Exodus be a reminder for us that you serve the God who's able to provide water from a rock. Let Exodus be a reminder for you that where there is no supply, God rains down quail, God rains down manna. He sends like happy meals trickling down from the sky because he's that good. And just because the landscape around you says it's arid, just because the landscape around you says it's dry, don't let what you see dictate what's true of your God. In seasons of drought, and seasons of wilderness, we question, God, are you really a God who refreshes our soul? What you need to know, though, is in the midst of wilderness seasons, there's oasises in your life. There's oasis, there's places where God desires to revive, where God desires to refresh your soul. You say, well, what, what, what are those? Like, for example, uh, one would be your time of prayer. Like just spending time, and that you're like, Okay, this is like Sunday School 101. Yes, but my question is, how are you doing in that area? Because some of us know that cognitively, but we can neglect it totally. We know we should be people of prayer. We know God desires to refresh us by daily spending time in his presence. But my question is, are you? Some of you, you, you have the habit of, of prayer. You've worked that rhythm into your life. But for some of you, your prayer list has gotten so long. That, that sometimes taking time to set aside to pray and be, spend time in his presence almost feels like an overwhelming task. And let me just encourage you to reframe that whole reality, whether you're, you've been neglecting prayer or maybe you feel overwhelmed by the time that you feel like you need to spend in prayer. Let's reframe that and just say, God, I see that as an oasis. I'm in, I'm, as I navigate this wilderness season, you provide an oasis in my future and the oasis is daily coming to you and say, God, here I am. More than anything else, more than checking boxes, God, I'm just here to meet with you. I just want a fresh encounter with you. And as you do, you'll find rest for your soul. Here's what Jesus said about that. Matthew 11:28. 28, come to me. Come to me. I got an oasis for you. Come to me, all who you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, this is interesting verbiage here in 29 and something for us to to really grasp, we don't use the word yoke uh, very often unless we're talking about egg whites without the yoke uh, for our breakfast or omelets. But, but, but a yoke is like, um, like, almost like a harness. Like if you've seen Clydesdales, our, our kids were in Missouri for grand camp uh, last week and they got to go visit Clydesdales, like these Budweiser Clydesdales, these huge horses. And they're, 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 they're mounted together. They're, they're locked up together. They're, they're teamed up together. And together they can pull these huge wagons. They can, they can do a lot more work together than they can on their own. And in ancient history, they would be actually uh, a wooden, a wooden bar that would go across and there'd be this loop that comes over under. And, and so Jesus' invitation is not, hey, whatever yoke you're carrying, I'll come, I'll come get it. No, no, he says, no, no, leave your yoke there. You take my yoke upon you. You let me lead. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's saying, hey, he's inviting you to team up like the creator of the universe. Think about it. the creator of the universe is inviting you into that lockstep relationship where daily you're walking together, daily you're working together, daily you're navigating life together. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And when you do, here's what you're gonna find. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. 
And here's the promise, and you will find rest for your soul. There's an oasis in your future this week, and it's daily. Sit aside time to say, God, I just want to be in your presence. Jesus, I just want to spend time with you. I just got a few things going on to talk to you about. But God, more than talking to you about my, my agenda, I just want to encounter you. It'll refresh your soul. Our homes are created to be an oasis. Our homes, the place where you live at the end of the day, a place where we can go let our hair down, a place where we can be vulnerable, a place where we can be crazy and silly and have dance parties and do things that we would never do in public. That's what our homes are, are created to be. Uh, some of you, if you have young kids, homes can feel like a, a crazy place. Um, we have a few pictures of our kids. Like this is where, this is just the stage of life. This is kind of what life is on a daily basis. I mean, there's basketball games in the kitchens and there's singing competitions at 7 a.m. And there's a tornado of toys left behind them that little arms just struggle to, to pick up uh, sometimes. And, and it can be tough. Thank you, Chris. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, our homes are, are designed to be an oasis. And I realize that's not true for everyone. There certainly are decisions and boundaries that have to be set to allow our homes to be that Elam for us. But, but our homes are designed to be places of refreshing. There are places also that, that God drops into our path throughout the rhythm of our week uh, to be refreshed. And one of those places is, is church. And again, you're like, of course you're going to say that. You're the pastor. Like, that's your job to say that. Uh, but I would just submit to you, like, if that's the only thing you take from this, then, man, that's a, that's a bummer because you'll, you'll miss it. Because the Bible instructs us about gathering together, not for the sake of religious duty, not for the sake of, of checking boxes, but for the sake of restoring your soul, for, for having this rhythm of an oasis in your life. Uh, Psalm 122 says, says, David, he says, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Now, why was he so glad? Because he knew it would be a place of reflect, reflection. He knew it would be a place of refreshing. He knew it would be a place to reframe perspective. As we go through life, man, we got so many temporary stresses and things and to-do lists that can bog us down. But when we take a pause and just focus on God's eternal truth and we we're able to lock arms and, and, and worship the creator of the universe who, who reigns forever and we get some perspective about who we are, it, like, it brings some refreshing to our souls. Psalm 1611 says, you make joy, uh, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Now, there's something about gathering together in a gathering like this, where we encounter God's presence differently than what we do on our own. I, I don't know how I can explain that. I mean, it's wonderful to experience God's presence on our own. And, and that's a part of it. There's an oasis in your future there. But there's something about the corporate gathering was people on the same journey, navigating the same Bay Area, navigating some of the same challenges and trying to do it through this lens of God, how do you want us to respond in some of these situations that is refreshing to our, our soul? Uh, there's joy in, in God's presence. Uh, I had a buddy who, uh, who cuts my hair. I don't know if Greg's here. He cuts Greg's hair too, but, but we kind of tag team uh, our, our guy who cuts our hair. And, uh, and we talked to him about Jesus. He's Buddhist. And so we talked to him about uh, Buddhism and you know, his worldview on things. Uh, but he came to Easter at Central. And uh, first time he'd ever been inside of a church, first time he's ever celebrated Easter. And his family, he has young kids and, and they came and it was, it was awesome. So afterwards, next time I we went and got a haircut, I was like, Big Ben, what'd you think? Like, well, tell me your perspective of church. He's like, he's like, I don't know, but I do know this, those people full of joy, full of joy. And I thought, man, if a Buddhist is going to say anything about God's people, 
Let it be that there's joy in your presence. And I told him, I said, big man, that's just because we've, we've had this encounter with, with Jesus and he's changed your life. And so like our cup overflows, like it's, it's awesome. There's something about gathering together with God's people that, that fill us fresh with joy, that people on the outside that come into the space, they recognize there's something different. There's joy there. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, uh, think of ways to motivate one another to love and good deeds and let us not neglect meeting together. Now, again, not as religious duty, not because like, if you don't, you're going to hell. That's not the case. It's for you. It's, it's an oasis for you. Don't neglect meeting together. Some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Why does the Bible instruct us to gather together? Why is it so strong on some of these points? Because it's, it refreshes our soul. It keeps us from, from running life on empty. God leads us to places of refreshing. He did it for Israel and he wants to do it in your life and my life as well. Second observation, second point, God leads us to places of refreshing to remind us of his purpose. God leads us to places of refreshing to remind us of his, his purpose. Uh, there's something about wilderness seasons that, that can cause us to forget God's plans, that kind, kind of disorient us. Seasons of struggle and confusion disorient us to, to greater perspective in life and wilderness seasons can cause us to think things like, God, are you really on the throne? Like, God, do you really see me? God, do you really know what's going on? And if you do, God, do you really even care? I think that's partly why God leads us to places of refreshing. I think that's partly why he provides oasises in our weekly life. And I love, I love Moses because he's a man of detail. Uh, he, he documents for us what most people would just not even think about. He, he talks about Elam. A definition of Elam, uh, it says they, they went to Elam where there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Elam is a place of, of tambrins and, and great trees. So there were, it's not like there's only palm trees here. There was a lot of other trees, a place of great trees, it says. But, but for some reason, Moses notes that there are, are 70 palm trees. Exodus 15, 27, then they, they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Why 70 palm trees? Why does he make note of that? I think it's important for us to remember what, what all they've gone through. You know, if you were with us week one, then you remember that the nation of Israel is broken down into 12 tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. So, so 2 million plus people broken down into to 12 tribes. And there's 70 elders assigned to help carry the burden of all the people. And what they've gone through, like Moses has gone to Egypt and he's like, hey, let my people go. These people in Egypt have been enslaved for 400 years. Like the fact that they got out of that situation is, is a miraculous reality. Like nine plagues, that had to be emotionally draining on Moses. Seeing the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn son had to be emotionally taxing. Now, now they leave Egypt. Now there's, they're in this wilderness season. Now Pharaoh comes behind them. Like you think about the anxiety of that. You think about the wear of that. You think about the, the strain of that. Now they're on the brink of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army coming after them. They're like, we're all going to die. And to top it off, all the people around them are like, we should have just stayed in Egypt and died. What have you done? Moses like carries this mantle, this responsibility, this weight. God miraculously frees them through the Red Sea and provides a way. It's amazing. But then they're in the wilderness again, and he's like, where are we going? When we think about some of the realities of this, we have to know that Moses had to be like burnt out. 
running thin, like, like running on empty. And as he stops at this oasis, God gives him a reminder. Twelve springs to refresh the twelve tribes of Israel. He notes 70 palm trees for the 70 elders to find shade, to find rest. It's an oasis. God's provided it for them. And to think about this reality, here's what I want you to think about. Before God ever called Moses to go to Egypt, well, he's still in the wilderness. As God appears to him on Mount Sinai, God had this oasis in his future. Throughout the 12 plagues, or nine, 10 plagues rather, he had an oasis in his future. At the Red Sea, God had an oasis ahead of him. And what you need to know, whatever wilderness season you feel like you're in, whatever situation you feel like may be overwhelming, maybe you feel like today I'm running on empty, I don't have a whole lot left to give, there's an oasis in your future too. And it recalibrates Moses to God's purpose, recalibrates Moses to God's plan, realizing that God had him all along, that God is a God who goes before them. Moses documents this in Deuteronomy 1, 32. He says, the Lord, your God, who goes before you, he's working up stream from you. He's laying tracks for a place of refreshing. The Lord, your God, who goes before you for the best places. Isn't that nice to know that your, your God is looking for the best places for you to camp? He's picking out the good things for you in life. As you are, are a person who's, who's led by fire, you're a person who allows God to guide you. It says the steps of a righteous person are led by the Lord. And as he's leading you, isn't it nice to know he's, he's leading you to the best places? Guiding you with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. It's a place of refreshing for Moses that reminds him of his purpose. We see this for, for several people, really throughout generations of Christ's followers. But, but, but King David, uh, in Psalm uh, 73, he's like, he's like, why do the wicked people prosper? Like, why do people who, who disregard God, people who don't care about God, like, why, does, why is it always sunny on their side of the street? Like, why do they get the promotion? Why do they get the Tesla? Why do they get the, you know, the, the, the nice things? And, and David goes as far to say, he's like, surely I've kept my heart pure for nothing. Like, I don't know that there's any point to this. Check this out. Then in verse 16, he says, then I tried to understand, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I went to an oasis, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I got some perspective. Then I understood their final destiny. It was this place of refreshing that allowed him to reframe his perspective. We see this with uh, Elijah in uh, First Kings. Elijah was this prophet, right? And this prophet who did extraordinary things for God. Like, like Elijah had this showdown with uh, these prophets of Baal, 500 false prophets. And uh, they get this, this, this animal sacrifice ready. And they're like, hey, if God consumes your sacrifice with fire, then he's the real God and I'll worship him. But if God consumes my sacrifice with fire, then he's the real God and let's worship, let's acknowledge he's the real God, let's, let's serve him. And so some of you know the story and, and Elijah like, not only does he do that, he ups the ante, he puts like buckets of water, he digs a trench around so it's like it's filled with water, it's all saturated. Prophets of Baal like cutting themselves, like come on God, like show up. He doesn't because there's not real, but the real one true God shows up, consumes the sacrifice with fire. Like I don't know the last time you saw fire rain down from heaven, but that's what Elijah experienced. And then he put to death all these false prophets, like he purged the land of like this, this ideology, all with the thought of the whole nation of Israel is gonna turn back to God, it's gonna be awesome. At the same time, Elijah had told the king, it's not gonna rain, I'm gonna pray and it's not gonna rain. And the heavens were closed for three and a half years. 
And then Elijah goes to the king. He's like, hey, I'm going to pray again. And the heavens are going to open up because God's a God who answers prayer. And he prays. And after three and a half year drought, it starts to rain. Like Elijah's experienced amazing miracles. And by the way, the book of James says, Elijah's a man just like you and me. God hears our prayers too. But Elijah experiences God miraculous power. And the very next scene we see is Elijah's ready to die. He's running so hard. He sees God display his purpose, his plan. Like, and then he's like, yeah, I think I'm done here. Throws in the towel on ministry. He goes in the wilderness to essentially die. But God sends refreshing. Elijah takes a nap. Angel of the Lord provides a meal, which just highlights what we should be doing on vacation, like relaxing, eating delicious things, recalibrating back to God. And I love, I love what the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, 15. It says, it says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Sometimes we can make permanent decisions based on temporary realities. And sometimes what we need is not for the whole situation to change, not for the whole nation to turn around like Elijah was hoping. What we need is just a place of refreshing. And it reframes our perspective. It reminds us of our purpose and God will say the same thing to you and I oftentimes that he said to Elijah, get back in the game. You've had your breather. Now get back at it. God leads us to places of refreshing to remind us of his purpose. The third and final point is this. When God brings us to places of refreshing, when God brings you to places of refreshing, use it. That seems super elementary, I know. But how many of us struggle to use it? How many of us on when we come to an oasis, we're bogged down with to-do lists and ongoing litany of emails to respond to. But when God leads you to a place of refreshing, use it. I thought about our, our kids, our young people, and if you have kids or you have grandkids or nieces, nephews, or you work with kids, see if you can relate to this. Uh, especially this time in the summer months. Uh, how many of you have had a young person ever say to you, I'm bored? <laughs> it's, and it's more like this. I'm so bored. I'm so bored. They have the audacity to come to you with such a statement, knowing you've provided them books they can read, balls they can kick around and shoot, games they can play. There's a long list of things to do in the house where they live that they could do that would not, would erase boredom for them but they have the nerve to come to you and like a withering plant on a hot summer day, I'm so bored. And I thought, man, how often do I do the same thing? We're like, God, I'm so tired. God, I don't know if I can keep marching. God, I, I'm fake, I'm, I just need to take a break. And all along the journey, God has provided oasises that I've chosen not to grasp. For our kids, the blessing's right in front of them. They just choose not to take hold of it. And I wonder how often I do the same thing. We keep marching. We know we got stuff to do. We know there's a promised land. But when God leads you to places of refreshing, take it. Matter of fact, God has commanded rest into the rhythm of our week. God provides oasises ahead of you this week. And my encouragement to you is to encamp there. Daily encamp at the oasis in God's presence. Allow him to refresh your soul. Weekly, 
come to an oasis, gather with God's people, reframe perspective, let him provide refreshing for your soul and annually look for windows in your calendar for places of refreshing. I can tell you pretty much every year I've been in ministry, uh, there are certain calendar points when I know I'm probably gonna wanna tap out. And so what we've tried to do is to recognize those seasons and plan just a day away, just to, just to get some fresh perspective, clear my head. Because a lot of times the issue is not the issue, it's my perspective. And the Lord will say the same as he did to Elijah, get back, get back in the game. One thing I'm so excited, one reason I'm so excited for all the camps, one reason we invest so much time and attention and energy into camp and resources is because it provides a place of refreshing for young people. Here's kind of the formula of something I pretty much share every year when it comes to camp. This is true for our kids, this is true for our students. A change of place, a change of pace can lead to a change of perspective. There's something about changing our environment, getting out the rhythm of what we always see all the time. There's something about slowing down the pace of life, especially here in the Bay, just slowing down. And these two things result in a change of perspective. And that's why I'm so excited for our students as they're in Newport Beach this week. They're changing their pace, they're changing their place, and God's gonna speak to them. And they're gonna get a different perspective. Our kids that are gonna gather here for best week ever, it's gonna be a different environment. That's why Kristen does such a great job investing so much time and detail into creating new environments that they haven't seen here on this campus before. So it feels like a change of place. And they will slow down their change of pace and God will speak to them and lead them to a new perspective. How about you? Same is true for you. Change of place, change of pace results in a change of perspective. Let's look at it one more time, Exodus 15. This is a wisdom for us. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. They didn't just pass by, say, no, I got a promised land. I got to get to, baby. We got to keep marching. We got to keep pushing. Now they encamped near the water. For some of us, we've just been marching. We just keep going one foot in front of the other. Vacations come and go, but we just march right through them. And I think today, God's encouragement to us would be just lift up your head. Just stop. Stop worrying about what other people are going to say. Stop trying to figure out solutions to problems that aren't yours to solve. Just stop. Focus on him. Allow him to refresh your soul. Recalibrate perspective. It was never God's design it was never God's desire for us to be people who live on empty. His design, his desire is for us to be people who are overflowing with more and more life. But in order for us to step into that, we gotta allow him to lead us. We gotta work and put into practice the rhythms of rest that he's prescribed that will revive your soul. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that you've promised rest, not just rest one day when we die, an eternal rest, but God, you promised us rest this week. So God, I pray that you'd help me and you'd help all my friends here to look for the oasises you've placed in our path, to daily spend time in your presence, allow you to revive our soul, to weekly gather with your people, to reframe our perspective, 
to annually look for places to experience a change of place and a change of pace so we can have renewed perspective on what you're calling us to do to refocus on our purpose. So Jesus, for those gathered here that are in that dry season, I pray Jesus you'd come like a flood and bring refreshing into their soul right now. And God, for all of us, help us to apply these rhythms into our life so we never get back to that place of empty, but we're always overflowing with your grace, with your goodness, with your passion and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.